Good morning and Happy New Year, Harvest. I hope that you guys had a great Christmas week. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, whether you're uh, in person or you're maybe traveling, you're tuning in online, uh, my name is Andrew Watkins. I have the privilege of serving here at Harvest Annapolis as an associate pastor. And we are so glad that you're, you're joining us. We uh, hope that we do get the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better and uh, would love to enjoy some hot chocolate after the service with you. Like anybody excited for hot chocolate? It's not as cold as it might have been last week, but it's still, still hot chocolate weather, so uh, let's enjoy that after the service. Uh, but before then, let's go ahead and get in God's Word together this morning. So uh, if you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles or your phones or whatever it is that you use to get your eyes on God's Word. And would you meet me this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? We'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning. It's not too far uh, before uh, the book of Titus, where we spent most of the falls. If you need some help finding that, uh, it's just a few books before Titus. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible this morning, I would love it if you would uh, be able to follow along with us. And there's a couple ways you could do that. You could just pull out your phone and Google 1 Thessalonians 4 ESV, and it'll pop right up. Or on the back table uh, back there, we have some paper Bibles that we would love for you to just uh, have. If you don't have one at all, just take it as our gift to you so that you can have God's Word. Uh, I love coming in each week and seeing Bibles missing. Uh, that means that some people have taken and have God's Word, and uh, that excites me. That, that makes me very, very happy. Uh, and let me just also say this as we get started. Uh, I, now, having been a pastor for a few years, I have grown to really get excited about times in the church calendar where it's, it's okay to just hit the pause button on what we're doing and approach God's word, uh, like times like starting a new year and asking God, what do you have for us this morning? Where do you want us to go? And so uh, a few months ago, as I was uh, getting ready, knowing that I'd be preaching on New Year's Day, I was praying, God, what, what would you have for us to start a new year? And God led me to this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter chapter 4. And for the last few months, I just haven't been able to get away from it. So I'm very excited about it this morning. So if you're already in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I want to go ahead and read verses 9 through 12 for us, and then we'll pray again and get started. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Thessalonica, says this, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Father, we thank you so much for your word as we start this new year. Uh, Father, we need you. We acknowledge that we need you in 2023 just as much as we have needed you in 2022, and we always will. And we need you in this moment as we come to your word, Father, as, as Nate just prayed a few moments ago, uh, our desire is to grow to be more like your son, Jesus. And so as we come to your word this morning, we, we, we believe and we trust that every single word in this book is inerrant and inspired by your Holy Spirit and is profitable for, for our doctrine and our reproof and for our training in righteousness. And so we ask now as we turn to your word that, that your spirit will be moving among us to, to work in us, to challenge us, to convict us, and even to encourage us this morning as we head into a new year, but ultimately to make us look more like Jesus Christ. That's our prayer this morning, God. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, probably more so than any other time of the year, New Year's Day has the potential to make us feel the pressure. 
It's the beginning of a new year is when we, we dream big. It's when, when we set our goals high, like great things are ahead. And to some degree, uh, every single one of us will probably spend some time around maybe this afternoon reflecting on what we might view as maybe our, our failures, or maybe even our disappointments of the last year. And then, and then we'll look forward and, and think and maybe hope and dream and, and plan for things like, you know, is this the year that I'll finally get that promotion so that, that everyone in the office will realize that I'm the most deserving. I'm the one that works the hard. I'm the one that, that has, has earned that. Or is this the year that I'll finally be able to get that dream car or dream house or dream boat or fill in the blank with whatever, whatever status symbol you think is necessary to prove to your friends from high school or college that you've made it? Or maybe is, is this the year that I'll finally get my, my personal life firing on all cylinders so that, so that my family will stop viewing me as a failure? Like, I want to live up to their expectations. In other words, will this be the year that I finally get the recognition I want? Will this be the year that I am finally viewed as significant in, in somebody else's eyes? That's the pressure that our culture wants us to feel. It's the pressure that our culture is constantly putting on us. And, and, and no matter who you are this morning, not because I necessarily know you, but because I know how the human heart works, I can almost guarantee you that there is at least one area or aspect in your life where you struggle with the search for significance. Like even in the life of the church, we, we want to do big things. We, we want to make an impact. And in many ways, God has called us to do big things. He's called us to massive tasks. Like it's no small thing to, to do our part as Jesus builds his church like we've, we've looked at throughout the fall in the book of Titus. Like that's a big thing, right? And it's no small thing to, to go and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that God has commanded them. No, the, the, the process of, of pursuing our own discipleship and living out the Great Commission and fulfilling God's mission for us is a massive task. And that's what we're going to get into in our next sermon series starting next week. And parents, moms, it's no small thing to give your life to raising your, church, your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is a huge, huge thing. All of those are, are big things. So yes, God does call us to big things. But the, the problem though in our hearts is that sometimes we can get so attracted to what we define as success or significance that we start putting that success and significance that, that God never calls us to ahead of what he actually does call us to, things like simple faithfulness. And so this morning, along with the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, I just want us to hit the pause button for a second as we start a new year. And take a deep breath, and then I want us to call ourselves to live well this year. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our big idea, our, our one-sentence overarching theme of the passage that'll tie it together for us. Our big idea this morning is this, God calls us not to a life well-known, but a life well-lived. Again, God calls us not to a life well-known, but a life well-lived. In other words, it's not about your fame, it's about your faithfulness. It's not about your significance. It's about slow and steady wins the race in the Christian life. And so we turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. So the book of 1 Thessalonians has a very different tone than, than some of Paul's other letters. Like in 1 Thessalonians, you won't find the whole, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you kind of tone in this book. No, in 1 Thessalonians, it's one of Paul's first letters writing to a mostly healthy church. Yes, to, to address some things that he needs to address, but, but mostly just to encourage these people to, to live well in the face of increasing cultural pressure. And, and, I, and I love Paul's pastoral heart and tone in this book. 
Not just that, but I, I see us in this book. I see Harvest Bible Chapel Annapolis in First Thessalonians. And as Paul's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to them and, and also to us, what he basically says in our passage this morning is this. If you want to live well in 2023, you're going to need to do two things. You're going to need to love increasingly and live intentionally. And that's where we're going to go this morning. So let's go ahead and jump in. First, in order to live well in 2023, you've, you've got to love increasingly. Look back with me at, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Paul again says this. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers to do this more and more. Like I just said, Paul's writing to a mostly healthy church in 1 Thessalonians, and, and unlike their, their church neighbors to the south down in Corinth that, that we know from 1 Corinthians had some problems with being divisive and disunified, Harvest Bible Chapel Thessalonica, as we can call it, had the reputation of being a very loving church. Like these people truly cared for each other. They met each other's needs. They were always up for a, a phone call to encourage one another or just to be a listening ear after a hard day at work. They had an Angie at the front door who was always there to, to, to give you a hug after a, a long, hard week. These people did the, the one another's of the New Testament well. They, they shared our, our vision for one mission, one church, one family. And like us, when they said the words, you are loved, they meant it, every bit of it. They knew what it meant, and this was a loving church in every sense of the word, so much so that, that when it comes to brotherly love, the genuine familial affection between brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul, and he's writing to them, he, he says, hey, you don't need me to write to you about brotherly love. Like, I might have a lot of things that you say to you, but you don't need me to weigh in on this one because you guys are nailing it. Like, A plus, good job, keep up the great work, you're nailing it when it comes to brotherly love. We all know that Paul is not afraid to, to, to lean in on some people when he needs to, so he's not just giving them a free pass on this. No, he's, he, he, he doesn't have to here. This time, he just gets to cheer them on like a proud father, saying, yes, you're, you're doing it. And he says, why? Because they've already been taught by God. In other words, they've already taken the master class on brotherly love taught by God himself. For those of you that don't know what Masterclass is, it's an online streaming service where for a not so small fee, you can, uh, you can take all kinds of classes on different topics taught by, uh, by the men and women who have reached the absolute pinnacles of their fields. Like if you're a foodie and you wanna learn how to cook, you can take cooking classes from world-renowned chefs like Wolfgang Puck and, and Gordon Ramsay. You can learn magic tricks from, from Penn and Teller. You can learn comedy from Steve Martin, like absolute legends in their fields. If you want to learn about sports, Coach K teaches a, a class on leadership and coaching. Steph Curry teaches a class on basketball and, and, and shooting. Serena Williams teaches tennis. Simone Biles teaches gymnastics, though apparently uh, at the end of the class that Simone Biles teaches, it's not guaranteed you can actually do a backflip. Apparently that's in the, in the fine print there. If you're into music, you can learn from artists like John Legend, Mariah Carey, and Ringo Starr. Like, that's a beetle. He reached the top of his field. If you want to grow your business, you can learn from CEOs like Howard Schultz, who practically has a Starbucks on every corner of the country, or, 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 or Bob Iger, who runs the entire Disney Corporation that includes ESPN and ABC and all, all kinds of things. See, Masterclass knows that when people want to learn something, 
They want to learn it from the best of the best. They're not going to settle for anything less than that. And so what what Paul is saying then in this passage is that, that, that if we as Christians are going to learn love, then where else would we turn for the master class on love than to the triune God himself? The one who, as 1 John 4, 8 says, literally is love. And so let's just say that the, the subscription fee for masterclass has been waived for us this morning and, and let's enroll in the masterclass on love taught by the triune God of the universe. And collectively, let's, let's sit here and ask the question, well, how do I learn love? Well, Paul says the Thessalonians have learned love from God himself. So how do I learn love? How do we learn love? What does is, what is God's masterclass on love teach us? Well, here's three ways we learn love from the triune God. First, I learned that love moves towards the broken by looking at the example of God the Father. I learned that love moves towards the broken by looking at the example of God the Father. 1 John 4, 9 says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, the example was shown. He's teaching that God sent his only son into the world. He, he moved towards us so that, while we, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we had loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Romans 5, 8 puts it this way, but God shows his love for us. He, he puts his example on display. He's teaching us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, he moved towards us. Friends, we learn love through the gospel. The example of God the Father moving towards us in our sinful brokenness by sending his own perfect son to die in our place and pay the penalty for our sins. How amazing of love is that? What love that he would move towards us even while we were still in our sin and brokenness. What love that he would move towards us even while we were literally still his enemies, shaking our fists in his face. Even though we didn't deserve it, God moved towards us. He, he didn't run away. He didn't walk on the other side of the street when he saw us coming because he didn't want to have to deal with that awkward interaction. He didn't put his phone on, on silence because he didn't want to be disturbed. No, he, he moved towards us in our moment of need by sending his son to die on the cross for us so that if we would repent and turn from our sins and place our faith, our hope, our trust for salvation in him alone, we would be saved and reconciled to God the Father for all of eternity. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, I, I would plead with you to do it today. Cling to Jesus and be saved. God has moved towards you in the person of, of Jesus Christ. So if you have questions about that, come talk to us after the service. We would, we would love to talk with you about the gospel, but I would plead with you, make today, January 1st, 2023, the day of salvation for you. But if you're already saved here this morning, you've got to remember that, that learning love by looking at the example of God the Father means that you learn to love by moving towards the broken. And that's uncomfortable for us, isn't it? I guess hard for us to move towards broken people. What that means in the context of our church is it means taking a step towards the person in your small group that you view as needy and annoying and frustrating instead of just tolerating them for like two hours a week and maybe a text thread on top of that. It means answering them when they, when they need you instead of ignoring them. It means listening to them and chatting with them instead of silencing them and avoiding them because that's what God did for you. He moved towards you in your brokenness in order to meet your greatest need. What else can we learn about love from God's masterclass? Second, I learned that love gives sacrificially by listening to the teaching of Jesus. 
In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. That's not a suggestion. He's teaching here. He's commanding that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And then he says pretty much the same thing like two chapters later in John 15 where he says, this is my commandment. Again, not a suggestion. He's teaching again that you love one another as I have loved you. Because greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends, that they give sacrificially. See, Jesus didn't just come to us. He sacrificed himself for us. And what that tells me is that if we are gonna learn love by listening to the teachings of Jesus, is that if all we ever do is move towards the broken, then sure, maybe we did a nice gesture. Sure, maybe they appreciate it. Sure, it was, it was a nice thing to do. But if all we ever do is move towards them without actually giving sacrificially to them, then we haven't loved them to the fullest. We haven't loved them like Jesus loved us. No, in order to do that, we'll have to give sacrificially of our time and our energy and our money and our comfort or anything that we'd rather hoard for ourselves and keep to ourselves instead of being bothered by our brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, uncomfortable, yes, can acknowledge that, but think of it this way. Love intersects in the shape of a cross at the point where selfless sacrifice meets immediate need. At the point where selfless sacrifice meets immediate need, it forms a cross. Because we've learned from God the Father and, and Jesus. And we learn all this by listening to the teachings of Jesus. Because friends, we have so much to learn about love. So, so let's move on. Third, I learned that love remains patiently by leaning on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I learned that love remains patiently by leaning on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 5.5, 5, Paul says that God's love has been poured into our hearts. That's, that's teaching us. He's pouring into us through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And even further than that, in Galatians 5, where Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit, the, the first aspect that he mentions is what? It's love. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that, that produces love in us as he sanctifies us. In other words, the Holy Spirit remains patiently with you in order to guide you towards Christ-likeness. And part of that is, is teaching you how to love so that you will remain patiently with others in biblical community, in, in the community of the church. Here's why that's important. Have you ever moved towards someone relationally and then give sacrificially to them only for them to then frustrate you and annoy you and, and, and use you and, and, and bother you and, and get under your skin? Like all the, all the married people had better say yes to that, but they better say it quietly and with a smile on their face, right? We know what that's like, but it doesn't just happen in marriage. It happens when brothers and sisters in Christ live in true biblical community with one another and they frustrate each other as they do life together. Like this happens. If we're gonna actually live as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna step on each other's toes, we're going to frustrate each other. We're going, to, we're going to bother each other. And it's going to take leaning on the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to remain patiently for the long haul instead of just taking our ball and going home when we get upset. So again, notice how the triune God teaches us how to love. He teaches us that, 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 that love moves towards the broken. And then when it gets there, love, love gives sacrificially. And then once it's given sacrificially, it remains there patiently. This is exactly what Jesus taught us in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Like, think about that story. We all know it. 
The good Samaritan, he, he, he moved towards the broken man who needed help on the side of the road when all the religious leaders were saying, not me, no, I'm on the other side of the street on this one. But he moved towards the broken. And then he gave sacrificially, right? He, he took the man to the hotel, to the, to the, the hotel and he, he paid for him. He gave his own money to care for this man. But he didn't just leave him there and say, well, look, once the money runs out, you're done. No, he told the, he, he remained patiently. He told the, 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 the housekeeper there that, look, if, if he needs anything else, like I've got some other stuff I got to take care of right now, but, but I'm not ditching this guy. I'll be back. I'm going to remain patiently with him. He, he taught us what love meant. That's what the lesson in God's master class on love teaches us. So take that lesson and apply it to your small group. Apply it to your family. Apply it to your marriage. Apply it to your parenting. Apply it to your relationship with the person who sits on the other side of church. You kind of, kind of rubs you the wrong way and you don't really, really know how to interact with them, but, but take that lesson and apply it there. And that's what Paul's commending the Thessalonians for. And I would echo his commendation to you as well. Like as a pastor, let me just say, Harvest, I'm proud of you. You love so well. And let me just say, it is not that way in every church. You do an amazing job at this. You've been taught by God how to love one another, just like the, the Thessalonians were, and it shows. So keep it up. Because here's the thing, you don't ever graduate from God's master class on love. There is no graduation ceremony. You, you, you keep learning and you keep loving, and that's why in verse 10, Paul doesn't just say, good job, and then move on. He, he says, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. In other words, Love increasingly. More and more, love increasingly. Because friends, 2022 may be over and, and you may have well loved in 2022 and I, and I think you did. But guess what? 2023 just started about 10 and a half hours ago and it will bring with it plenty of opportunities for you to love. And so let's go ahead and commit right now at the beginning of the year to determine that, that when those opportunities to love come, we'll move towards one another and we'll, we'll give sacrificially to one another and we'll remain patiently with one another. And if you do that, you'll live well. We'll live well. But loving increasingly isn't the only way we're called to live well because second this morning, Paul says, in order to live well, you'll, you've also got to live intentionally. You've also got to live intentionally. Look back with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Paul goes on and he also tells them to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And this is where we get into the, the, the actual problems that Paul was addressing with the Thessalonians. See, see the, the, the problem was that the Christians in Thessalonica were so convinced that Jesus was coming back literally at like any second that they basically all just quit their jobs and shirked all their responsibilities and said, hey, nothing matters in the here and now. We're gonna do whatever we want. In other words, they were living irresponsibly to the point where the people around them were saying, like, what's wrong with these weirdos? And not in a good way. So Harvest, let's have a little pop quiz real quick. And, and this is the audience participation part of the sermon. So feel free to be loud. You guys ready for the quiz? Yeah. All right, so, so question number one, is Jesus coming back? Yes, good, you're one for one. Nailed that one. I was gonna be really worried if you missed that one. <laughs> Question number two, should we be longing for his return with great anticipation? Yes. yes, 100%. Question number three, 
Until he returns, do we still have work to do? Yes. Yes. Until he returns, and he will, we still have work to do. We can't just be kids with our faces pressed up against the the, the window waiting for the guests to arrive. We've also got to be the adults in the kitchen who are still doing the hard work until he gets there. We're to be waiting for the return of Jesus with both eager anticipation and never-ending preparation because we still have a witness to maintain and a gospel to proclaim until he comes. And if we ignore all of that, we'll be living irresponsibly. And that's what the Thessalonians were doing. And so in verses 11 and 12, Paul basically says, listen, you want to you maintain your witness? You, you, you want to find some purpose in your life while you're waiting for Jesus to come back? You, you want to live well in a world that already thinks you're crazy? Then live intentionally. And I think that's a word for us today. So here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to work our way backwards through verses 11 and 12. So I'm going to go ahead and give you what, what Ted Dressel, one of our elders, calls the bluff, the, the bottom line up front. I'd never heard that phrase until I met Ted, but, but let's go ahead and put the why before the what, because I think if we, if we understand what's at stake, if we live irresponsibly, then we'll be more inclined to live intentionally. So here's the bluff, here's the bottom line up front, here's, here's the why behind the what of living intentionally. It's about the mission. It's about the mission. Look at verse 12, and then we'll work our way backwards. In verse 12, Paul, Paul says, the reason we ought to live intentionally is so that you may walk properly before outsiders. It's about the mission. It's about maintaining your witness by living intentionally so that more and more people come to Christ. We're to live intentionally so that we may walk properly before outsiders. In many ways, it's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16 when he said, let your light shine before others that that requires living intentionally so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, so that you may walk properly before them. Like that's our mission as a church, right? To, we exist to glorify God by making healthy disciples of Jesus. And so that's what we're about. And so, so all right, Paul, we're, we're convinced. So we're, we're in on this. So, so how do we live intentionally for the glory of God, Paul? Go ahead, go ahead and teach us. So, so we're working backwards. He's going to give us three ways to live intentionally for the glory of God. They're going to they're gonna span all the way from the widest, most public arenas of our life down to the, the personal spheres that we all live in and all the way down to the most private nooks and crannies of our hearts and our souls. So let's start with the widest one. First, Paul says in order to live intentionally for the glory of God, you're going to have to work hard publicly. To work hard publicly. That's the third instruction Paul gives in verse 11 where he says, work with your hands. And and no, thank goodness for people like me, it doesn't mean that you're defying Paul's instructions if you don't work on a construction site. Like I'd be in big trouble if that was what he meant here. But as 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whether you're a nurse or a construction worker or a, or a stay-at-home mom or a soldier or an office worker, do all to the glory of God. No matter what you do, Paul's basically getting, what he's getting at here is what we've already said, that people are watching you, so work hard publicly, so that as they, as they watch you, they will be able to make the connection between your life and your Lord. That's what Paul's after here. I'll never forget this because it's like seared in my memory, but it's been several years now. I was trying to share the gospel with a coworker of mine at the time, and and at some point in the conversation, we discovered that, that we had a mutual friend that we had, we had both known for years in very different contexts. 
my mutual, the, the, my, uh, my coworker knew this mutual friend through the, through the small business world. They were both kind of small business owners, and, and so they knew each other that way. And, and I knew this mutual friend because he went to my church. And so as I was sharing the gospel with my coworker, and, and he found out that, hey, we have this mutual friend, and, and as soon as he heard that this mutual friend claimed to be a Christian, I'll never forget his response. Are you kidding me? That guy? That's the, 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 the laziest, biggest cheat in small business in the county, and you're telling me that guy claims to be a Christian? The damage had already been done. My friend's testimony, and in some ways mine as well, had been ruined because of irresponsible living. So friends, work hard publicly. Live intentionally. Your workplace, your public influence is not only the the testing ground of your witness, it's the place for your witness. So use it wisely and live intentionally. But then Paul narrows our focus a little bit. He, he, He says in order to live intentionally for the glory of God, I want you to also handle your business personally. See, the public is where everyone's watching and we all, we all spend time in, in the public atmosphere so it does require some of our attention, but, but most of our attention and influence should be spent in the personal areas of our lives. So the second instruction Paul gives in verse 11 is to mind your own affairs. In other words, mind your own business. But not in a, hey, mind your own business, that's none of your business, I, keep, your, keep your mind to yourself, this is, this is my stuff kind of way, that's not what he means. What Paul means when he says to mind your own affairs is to put your attention where it belongs. Instead of living irresponsibly, I want you to live intentionally. See, the problem is that if we're not wise and careful, our culture will do everything it can to make us believe that that everything in the public arena, everything in the widest public arenas of, of the globe actually belongs in our personal spheres. And then it tries to pull all of our attention and energy away from what is actually our personal business and pull it towards the public arena. And if, if, if you want a grid on kind of how to help think through, well, what actually is my, my personal business versus the, the public arena, just think, think through it this way. If you have lots of information but very little influence, it's probably not your personal business. If you have lots of information, if you know what's going on, that could be through gossip or anything, and you have very little influence, very little connectedness to it, probably not your personal business. But some of the main tools our, our culture uses to, to lure us into that trap if we're not wise in how we use them are things like cell phones and social media. And, and before you think that I'm just having a get off my lower moment, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. See, cell phones are incredible tools. In an instant, they can connect you to, to family and friends across the world and have almost any piece of information at your fingertips in like milliseconds in ways that would have been unthinkable 20 years ago. But we're so attached to them and they make us so accessible to everyone that if we're not wise and careful in how we use them, they'll pull us away from the places that we're supposed to be and the people that should be getting our attention and they'll pull us towards the public arena instead of our personal business, all without us ever leaving the room. And when that happens, we're no longer handling our personal business. We're living in the public arena. At the same time, social media can be fun and it can connect you to lots of people, but the danger is that if you're not wise and careful, it'll have you believing that your opinion and your voice on literally every topic imaginable is essential to the conversation. And in so doing, it will have pulled you away from handling your business personally. Like as much as I hate to admit it, the Orioles do not care what my Twitter opinion is of their latest roster moves. 
and nobody on Facebook is looking for my geopolitical opinions. But the culture wants us to believe that, that the public arena belongs in our personal spheres, and if we're not careful, when that happens, it will pull us away from handling our personal business. So what then is the personal business that Paul wants us to handle? What is our, our personal sphere? Where does our attention belong? Look around you. It's that simple. Look around you. That's your personal business. Husbands, be present with your wife and children. Love them and laugh with them and lead them to following Jesus. Wives, you will never know the godly influence that you can have on your family. Don't waste it by being distracted by the world. Small group members, don't, don't mail it in when it comes to small group relationships. Use your proximity to those people to, as, as Hebrews 10.24 says, to stir each other up to love and good works. Workers, employees, neighbors, you're not where you are by accident. Be intentional to build relationships where you work and where you live and point those people to Jesus because that's your personal business. So live intentionally. And finally, in order for all of that to work, Paul says, in order to live intentionally for the glory of God, you're gonna have to care for your soul privately. To care for your soul privately. I think our small group knows this about me by now, and my wife for sure knows it about me, but if, if, if I'm ever in a crowd of people or even just a really loud room with lots of kids running around and you're trying to have a conversation with me, there's very little chance that I will hear anything that you just said. All I'll hear is just a bunch of noise and I can't, can't focus on that. I have no clue what you're trying to communicate to me. All I, all I hear is the noise. And friends, that's exactly what happens when you try to have a relationship with Jesus without caring for your soul privately. No matter how hard you are trying to focus, no matter how hard you're trying to pay attention, no matter how hard you're trying to listen, if you don't intentionally take the time to care for your soul privately, all the noise around you will drown out the nourishment that Jesus has for your soul. And that's why the first instruction that Paul has for us in verse 11 is to aspire to live quietly. I've wrestled with what Paul means by that phrase because he doesn't use it anywhere else. And, and what I've concluded this week is that it really has nothing to do with the volume of noise around you. Like if it did and you have little kids, like good luck. It's not gonna work. It also has nothing to do with how busy you are. Like you can have a packed schedule and still live a busy life or still live a quiet life. It has nothing to do with the, the volume of work. What I think Paul's getting at here what he means by aspire to live quietly, what he, what he means by the noise, he's talking about the volume of the noise and busyness that you're allowing to exist in your heart at the same time you're trying to have a relationship with Jesus. And that's why I think the application for us to live intentionally here and in this moment, as we start a new year, as we head back to work and school tomorrow, is to determine right now that this year, with more intentionality than ever before, we'll care for our souls privately. And let's just be clear by, by caring for our souls privately. I don't, I don't mean that nobody else should ever be involved in the care of your soul. No, not only should they be involved, they, they must be involved. You, you can never overvalue gospel friendships and biblical community and, and pastoral shepherding to speak into your soul. All of that is, is necessary, but the first step in caring for your soul is to do it alone, privately, just you and Jesus because it's only through the care of your soul privately that you can ever hope to handle your business personally 
or work hard publicly or live intentionally or love increasingly. That's why in Proverbs 4.23, one version puts it this way, above all else, first priority, above all else, guard your heart. Synonymous with care for your soul because everything that you do flows from it. So friends, when it comes to your soul, guard it, protect it, care for it, build a fence around it, build Fort Knox around it because nothing in your calendar, no meeting, no appointment, no nothing is more important than caring for your soul privately by spending time alone with the Lord and nothing will wreck your life faster than ignoring that priority. Jesus knew that. Jesus lived that the right way. Just read the Gospels. I guarantee that none of us in this room have more demands on our time or attention or or none of us are busier than Jesus was during his time on earth. But even he knew that in order to survive the day, he needed to turn down the volume of the noise of life and go get alone with his father and care for his soul privately. Even when the crowds were coming, even, even when there were miracles to be done and needs to be met and emails to be sent and things to do, Jesus made time to meet alone with God. So let me ask you right now, as you start the new year, are you doing that regularly? Are you following Jesus' example? As you start the new year, will you make it a priority to care for your soul privately by, by turning down the noise in your heart and spending time alone with the Lord on a regular basis? All that would require would be you incorporating the spiritual disciplines of, of, of reading your Bible and prayer and fasting and things like that into your normal routines. And yes, guess what? That's going to require living intentionally. That's why Paul's saying that as he says to live intentionally. So if you're looking for tips on how to do that, I would just recommend one book. You know, I've always got a book to recommend. It's called Habits of Grace by David Mathis. Habits of grace, enjoying Jesus through the spiritual disciplines. But this is where I want us to end this morning because this is where it all starts. Before you can ever aspire to big things, you've got to aspire to live quietly, to care for your soul. Because listen, you can't can't live intentionally if the noise of your soul is too loud. You won't love increasingly if the balance of your soul is out of whack. If you're going to live well in 2023, you're going to have to care for your soul. So so when you feel the pressure building this year, maybe even this week, maybe tomorrow, just remember one thing. God has not called you to a life well known. He's called you to a life well lived. So let's live well this year, Harvest. Let me pray for us as the worship team comes. Father, thank you so much for the encouragement of your word to, to commend us in places where we're doing our best to follow you as a, as a loving church. Just ask that you would help us in this year to continue doing that, to, to continue love increasingly. But also thank you for the places where you, you challenge us to live intentionally. As we head into this year, Father, would you would you maintain our, our public witness? Would you give us courage and boldness to, to proclaim the gospel wherever we go and to live so that we would live well before outsiders for the glory of you? Would you help us to handle our business personally? Would you, would you keep us free from distraction to, 
to, to lean in on the relationships that you have put in our lives, the closest to us, to fulfill our responsibilities to them as, as parents and husbands and, and wives and mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and small group members and church members. Father, would you, would you help us? And would you help us to grow in our walk with your son, Jesus Christ? In the busyness of life, it is hard for us sometimes to find the time and the solitude to spend with you. But Father, help us prioritize that. Protect us from distractions and grow our walks with you this year. For your glory and the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.